Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Luca Ceschi, and I will be uh, the host of your podcast on NBN Central Asia Studies this afternoon. And it's great to have today uh, with us uh, Aga Bayramov, who uh, has authored this very intriguing, very interesting book uh, just out with Rutledge, Constructive Competition in the Caspian Sea Region? Question mark. Uh, Aga, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Luca, for inviting me. Uh, so, I mean, the first question which I want to ask you, it's one which I tend to ask to all of the hosts, to all of the guests on our podcast, and very much uh, relates to your perspective as an author. So, uh, how did you decide to engage with such um, a rich topic? And, you know, this is something which people like me have been thinking of for 30 years, but you have been able to, working on this this very rich topic and this in a very concise argument. So what were the reasons why you started to do this research? Yes, well, um, the background of this research is going back to 2014, actually when I started my um, master degree in the University of Groningen and 2015, uh, my uh, PhD, obviously this is the PhD dissertation. During my master degree, I have also, I also focused on the Caspian Sea and also South Caucasus and was uh, reading the literature. What I realized that time, um, South Caucasus uh, and Central Asia, uh, these two regions have been uh, analyzed and explained separately or kind of jointly. But the Caspian Sea per se uh, hasn't received enough attention. And that time I was wondering, oh, uh, everyone talks about even geopolitics uh, or uh, from a realist perspective or liberal perspective constantly about uh, land, uh, the geography, but nothing about the sea. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that was a kind of curiosity. Oh, maybe I should look at it. And then that time when I was also reading, I realized that after uh, every literature almost or uh, article or the book chapter, I realized, wow, it's such a negative region. Because although I am coming from the region itself, but when you read it uh, academically and when you look at it, well, wow, such a problematic place I am living in. And I am from such a uh, dangerous maybe or constantly, uh, you know, a problematic place. I was like, oh, is there something happening uh, that I can show beyond uh, these problems? Uh, there are problems, but at least maybe these countries are working for it or maybe... Uh, it's not only uh, these the states, but uh, maybe there are other actors. So that's how uh, 
this research started kind of curiosity reading and while reading questioning where i am from and is it actually like that or can i find something different i mean always on your perspective as an author i mean can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the research that mm-hmm. work that, that you did i mean there is a particularly detailed note in the introduction a bit about you know where you went who you talked to but can you give our our listeners a little bit more of um of a perspective on how did you approach this topic as a researcher yeah uh, of course um in briefly uh, my book is about the caspian sea per se so i'm looking at here the uh, the, the, what's going on in the sea and whether I can find the common projects, uh, problems, uh, and also uh, kind of constructive uh, cooperation among the uh, Caspian Sea countries. Uh, but I also uh, researched in this book uh, whether there are other actors uh, in addition to uh, Caspian littoral states. So what kind of uh, companies, uh, NGOs, uh, intergovernmental organizations, uh, or the epistemic communities uh, involved in the Caspian Sea project or development. And uh, from uh, empirical perspective, I looked at uh, three case studies. Uh, the two of them are energy projects. One of them is a Bakutiblis oil pipeline. Second one is Southern Gas Corridor. And the third one is a Caspian Environmental Program. Um, and the reason for these three, uh, um, actually, the commonality where, to some extent, Caspian uh, Sea countries or their companies or their, uh, I don't know, uh, institutions involved in this project, either in the end of the project or from the beginning of the project. And uh, another thing is, uh, these are the projects coming from the Caspian Sea per se, not, not somewhere else. So kind of interconnectivity I saw between these uh, three projects, kind of a, a natural resources, because the environment is also part of natural resources or other way around, you should say. Uh, I, I saw it that way. And from theoretical perspective, I looked uh, and used a totally different theory. I think it's not even familiar uh, among the uh, relevant scholars. Uh, it is a, a classical functionalist theory. Uh, which has been used in the European studies mainly, uh, not a neo-functionalist one, but the the original uh, functionalist one, uh, which uh, argues or explains the developments in the European Union, how European Union uh, or the European countries after the Second World War uh, started to work on technical cooperation, sideline the politics, and look for the common uh, gains. So, but this theory was uh, kind of present within the European studies, and then I said, well, I want to use something a little bit, a little bit different, and uh, that's how I ended up uh, using the uh, classical functionalism to show a little bit different perspective because classical functionalism also um, provides tools to explain technical cooperation, rule of different experts and different uh, actors. So briefly, that's how uh, yeah I wrote this project about the Caspian Sea region. And what about the actual research? How did you do to what did you do to support uh, this argument which you just described? Did you go on the field? Did you talk with people on the field? Did you engage yeah. with documents? What went behind the scenes while you were researching the book? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I did all of them. I mean, uh, I would say 
Uh, in the beginning, of course, you start, I started with uh, getting familiar with the uh, literature itself, what is outside there, and then I uh, looked at the documents, original documents that this literature, academic uh, literature, refers to. And the main purpose of my um, research in uh, looking at literature and the main documents to trace back from 1990s until 2018 uh, what has been done uh, with regard to the um, project's development and made a time timeline uh, in the book as well about uh, each project. Uh, in terms of uh, data collection, yes, uh, primary resources, uh, secondary resources, and plus uh, field trip, intensive field trip uh, online and uh, in the region also. Mainly I did the field trip uh, in Azerbaijan because of the time restriction, financial resources back then. I wanted to go travel to Kazakhstan, uh, Turkmenistan and Iran as well, but um, I couldn't find funding uh, for this. Unfortunately, my PhD graduate school didn't fund that. So I decided to do online interview, kind of online field trip for uh, with those people. So I combined uh, my travel to Azerbaijan to meet the people there. Uh, I met, uh, uh, let's say, um, people from organizations, United Nations, uh, British Petroleum. Uh, but I also met people from the Caspian Environmental Program, uh, Ministry uh, from Iran, uh, Turkmenistan and uh, Azerbaijan as well. I couldn't reach uh, Russia, uh, although I tried to contact with them and Kazakhstan. Unfortunately, I couldn't uh, reach uh, and uh, yeah, make interview with them. Uh, I also, to some extent, uh, reach also the other uh, experts and academics in, in the South Caucasus as well. So there were certain arguments that I wasn't sure, so I want to talk to them. Uh, there were experts from Armenia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, academic level also. I talked to them. So it is a kind of a combination of uh, everything, I would say. Uh, and the most important for me in this um, research time was the field trip online, let's uh, say, interviews and in-person interviews uh, with the experts from the Caspian Environmental Program. Because that's one of the understudied, I would say, uh, case studies and uh, uh, issues uh, in the literature. So I was so happy back then uh, that uh, experts from the UNDP, uh, Caspian Environmental Program and Minister of uh, Environment and Energy uh, were happy to talk to me. Also, uh, environmental experts or the department from the companies, for example, British Petroleum, uh, they they were also very cooperative, uh, and thanks to them, also answered my question. So yes, I mean there is, it is an elite study, isn't it? Like you studied what the elite told you about these particular issues. I mean, before we moving on to the three case studies, I, got, I just want to raise the, the issue. You know what you call the great game literature. In there is a whole part of the book which engages with that. So, from what I understand your argument, it is a pretty direct critique of this great uh, game mm -hmm. uh, theory. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Why did you feel that you had to engage with that particular literature saying that, you know, this is not helping us when it comes to the Caspian Sea? Yeah, very, very good question. Also, very good point that I forgot about and I forgot to mention that indeed the main critique of my book or the target was a great game, uh, which a uh, great game, uh, well, assumes 
and argues uh, from a classical realist perspective uh, is that there is always a conflict and rivalry between the regional, local, and external powers. And the state is the main actor and is the only actor. Rest uh, of the actors are either kind of complementing or are the tools of the state. Um, a cooperation is almost impossible to reach uh, and because there is always uh, rivalry behind uh, and uh, uh, this rivalry creates a grouping among the local and regional uh, states. Uh, more specifically, uh, they, they see uh, the region from a black and white perspective, I would say. So on the black spot, maybe Turkey, Azerbaijan, uh, Georgia. On the white spot, Russia, Armenia, Iran, let's say. Or they divided and bring uh, updated version China to the field, like China, Kazakhstan, uh, Turkmenistan on the one hand. Uh, Russia is trying to involve and uh, compete with China over Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan on the other hand. Um, here, Turkey and Iran comp uh, competing uh, kind of rivalry relations over the Caspian Sea. Uh, so here I could see the groupings. And then um, that was the main idea of this uh, great game. Uh, so these countries are actually, uh, they are the enemies of each other. And constantly they try to, you know, uh, dominate the region, uh, either energy resources or environmental resources or legal agreements. Uh, the cooperation is impossible. It's such a depressive place that almost uh, any time conflict can happen among them. Uh, and when I look at the original of this great game, uh, and I realized that it was about more uh, Great Britain uh, and the Russian Empire uh, back then, it was about uh, uh, Central Asia, especially dominating over. Uh, uh, trade routes uh, going from Central Asia to India and also Afghanistan. Uh, that's the original. And it, it came from a, a Roman Kipling's uh, uh, book. But later on, uh, scholars started to use this term even without explaining clearly what is this great game. Because game can also be a little bit competitive way rather than rivalry way. And then uh, the, after the Soviet Union, new great game emerged. Uh, from policy field to, uh, let's say, academic area. For example, uh, economics, uh, the, the economics journal also published a lot, James Bond movie. So that was the uh, main argument. So in, the, in this great game, uh, Western powers mainly are described as positively as possible, and the negative is always on Iran, Russia, China they are the bad guys uh, here even the movie i mentioned in the book james bond where mm -hmm. an english and american cooperation over the pipeline project while russia and uh, russia let's say trying to block this i mean to some extent i do agree with all uh, with their arguments but the question is is it is it the full picture after reading i was like okay is it the full picture and then the answer for me is no it's not really the full picture and uh, maybe I can try to see different color there because it's a bit. Uh, and when I try to trace overall also the great game argument, I realized one thing whatever happened, either it is an infrastructure project, environmental project, legal project, or uh, oil gas project, uh, actors are the same. Uh, certain arguments are uh, always repetitive uh, in terms of like, well, 
the European Union, United States trying to do this, uh, China, Russia, Iran trying to block this, like it constantly happens. But then I realized one commonality as well in this great game. Uh, this uh, great game argument uh, appears in the beginning of the project and disappears in the end of the project. Like when project is successfully completed or treaty is signed, there is no mentioning or go back in this literature. Then, then that I realized, okay, let's look at it maybe more critically and criticize these points and let me do things that they are not doing. You know, like let's look at what happens after the project is completed? Is it still a rivalry relations or does the project change the atmosphere in the region? So you pretty much, you use this uh, neo-functionalist key to unlock and uh, this great game conundrum. And to that end, you focus your attention on three different uh, examples of successful, if you want, neo-functionalist cooperation, which too had to do with energy energy project, the, 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 the Southern Corridor and the, and the BGP and the BTP, and you also have the, and the Caspian Environmental Program. Uh, quickly, why did you choose this, uh, this set of empirical cases here? Why are they so telling for the story that you wanted to tell us? Uh, why I am telling this story? Uh, do you mind to repeat that, uh, that question? No, I was asking why the, your selection was particularly on these three topics. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, first uh, I, I used not neo-functionalism, but functionalism, because yes. here I, I, I made a clear uh, distinction in, in that regard, because neo-functionalism, I tried to collectively use certain things, but mainly focused on the functionalist uh, one. And why? Because uh, for example, uh, Baku Tbilisi JM pipeline um, is among the uh, projects that receive stronger attention or a lot of attention from great games. So I wanted to a little bit challenge that uh, and then show different uh, perspective on the uh, Baku Tbilisi JM pipeline. Mm, and uh, that was the first reason, like what can I use, particularly that this great game dominates, so I can kind of challenge their comfort zone. And I did this uh, dividing the project in three phases. And I talk about uh, mainly in the middle and the construction phase and the use of the uh, pi uh, pipeline. And the second reason I use the Paco de Blizzi, let's say, pipeline, because uh, this project mainly designed to transport uh, Azerbaijani oil uh, to Jehan Turkish terminal. However, Later, after it's constructed uh, and completed, other Caspian Sea states, Russia, Turkmenistan, and Kazakhstan started also to benefit from this. Uh, started also to benefit from this project. So this is one of the projects kind of I saw a commonality because it's also an area indeed and well argued by the great game scholars that it's difficult to find something, but there is also something to some extent a limited way. So. That was the main reason. And Southern Gas Corridor is also the same. I use it because uh, it's also a place where great game moved uh, and to dominate uh, conversation there as well. And, and uh, when I look at the actors from a functional perspective, okay, what are the actors? I realize that it's not maybe Iran and Russia are part of this project, but their companies are part of this project. So, okay, uh, this project kind of shares some commonality among the uh, Caspian Sea countries. And final project, uh, environmental cooperation. The main reason is that 
uh, environment is not uh, received uh, attention from the geopolitical literature uh, because, well, it's not important. It doesn't bring any benefits. And uh, to challenge this, I said, well, no, they are missing this because it is actually the main place where the real politics happens where real discussion and disagreement uh, happen in the environment. Uh, that's why I use the environmental project uh, to show something new, uh, something sidelined uh, in the, in the uh, region and not receive enough attention. Plus, it is the only project where five Caspian members uh, are directly involved uh, and even uh, their, uh, inter uh, their ministries as well involved in this project. So. The commonality of the projects, uh, that the projects were dominated uh, from great game scholars, uh, are the main reason that I focused on this uh, three. And final, of course, a little bit my local biases, maybe that I speak the language and I'm coming from there and I feel more comfortable doing research on this project, considering the language and the accessibility to the region. Fair enough. That's a very good point, the other one. So now, I think that the most novel um, issue that you tackle in the book, I mean, beyond the, the, the great game critique, it's really this uh, focus on the on the environmental project, which is something which is very new. I mean, I haven't really heard much about it. Uh, can you tell us more about this particular area of cooperation? Why... Uh, do you regard it as very successful or very relevant for your topic? And mostly, is there a future there for cooperation beyond the time frame you analyze in the environmental sector? Yeah, thank you very much uh, for especially highlighting this one as well, because among the three cases, I really enjoyed doing this case study. So the environmental project is called Caspian Environmental Program. Uh, actually, this is the first uh, uh, common program among the uh, Caspian Sea countries on a technical issue. As you know, in the 1990s, these countries were busy to uh, divide the Caspian Sea legal status, uh, divide the nature of resources. Even there was a tension among Iran and Azerbaijan or Russia and Azerbaijan, or even uh, Azerbaijan and Turkmenistan on natural resources. So despite this negativity, these countries still came together to work on environmental issues. However, they couldn't manage because uh, they wanted something internationally uh, recognized, uh, not dominated by one of the Caspian Sea countries. And these countries decided, because Iran was taking a leading role on, on environmental issues, but other Caspian Sea states said, you know what, let's invite international actors because it's kind of beyond our uh, expertise and beyond our uh, functions and make sure that we follow the international standards. So they invited the World Bank, UNEP, UNDP and Global Environmental Facility uh, to help them actually. Uh, and uh, this environmental program, although uh, idea here is to rewrite almost uh, everything regarding the environmental regulation within these countries, also among these countries, to make sure that uh, they have common environmental agenda regulations rules, but they have also common environmental uh, agenda within their own ministries as well. So international actors, those actors finance the project and uh, they brought these countries together, their ministries, their governments together. 
And actually, everyone was talking about the legal status, disagreement about the legal status. Uh, but um, thanks to the Caspian Environmental Program, uh, Caspian Littoral State signed the first legal agreement, Tehran Convention, in 2003. The first legal actually agreement was signed, uh, or the document was signed in 2003 and ratified 2006 by all the Caspian Sea countries. Uh, and it was environmental uh, document. And this document later on uh, was also included in the legal status as well. And during my field trip, when I was talking to these people like, why do you cooperate? What is the added value of this environment? They said, Actually, this is the most geopolitical for us and most important thing because environmental regulations can block Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, and Turkmenistan natural resource exploration. Therefore, we want international actors to be involved and make sure that any agreement, environmental agreement, is not blocking us. So, in the end, these countries are not cooperating to protect the environment but they are protecting, trying to protect their natural resource business under the environmental cooperation. And when I talk to the uh, institutions uh, and financial, uh, let's say, the providers, they said the main reason also for these countries to come together is financial allocation, because we are the ones financing their ministry's projects. So that's why they are happy to come together to get this finance as well. And one condition is for this finance is to work together. Make sure that in the end, you guys are doing joint projects. In the end, we see a legal document. And when I talk to the local ministries and government, they really enjoyed. They said, look, of course, we represent our own government and state. However, we also see each other as a Caspian family, as a ministry level. Even if our uh, officials can disagree with each other on certain issues, we still like to keep positive atmosphere here. So this, uh, as a government level, like uh, not as a state level, but as a government level. So that was really interesting for me to observe uh, and to also find out. And another point uh, they mentioned is that uh, under the environmental meetings, because we meet a lot, we also discuss other political issues because uh, we attend, of course, as an environmental expert to this meeting, but there are other people also present. For example, Minister of Foreign Affairs, someone from the legal department. So during this meeting, it creates kind of socialization among these uh, elites or among these uh, government workers. So we informally discuss what's going on in the legal status, what's going on in other areas. Uh, that was also very, uh, I would say, interesting finding uh, during the interview time that these people view differently. And final point uh, for me is when uh, 2018 legal status was signed, these environmental requirements, part of it, were included in it. And again, geopolitical or the great game scholars argued that environmental uh, agreements on purpose were included by Russia and uh, by Russia and uh, uh, Iran in this uh, treaty to block the future project. However, this is very again oversimplified argument they made because they forgot that the environmental kind of discussion debate uh, started already in 1998. So it's not something one time happened, but step by step 
uh, establishing. And the uh, funny thing for me is that when environmental, uh, let's say, regulations uh, were, let's say, sponsored by the European Union or the United States, uh, scholars argue and see this differently, positively, or they care about the environment. But even if this is uh, sponsored or favored or, let's say, uh, supported by Russia or Iran, geopolitical literature immediately see here a different perspective. I mean, that was also, for me, the purpose to show uh, how environmental cooperation is perceived and what is actually really behind all of these agreements and treaties. Uh, well, that was the culmination point. 2018, legal status was signed after uh, more than 50, let's say, president, uh, meetings between the uh, ministries. And this agreement was part of it. And still, yes, when we look at the future, this project continues. Now the main idea is uh, to look at the Caspian uh, pollution and climate change perspective. However, I would say that the downside of this project is that, as I said, Caspian littoral states, they don't really care about the environment. The elite mainly care about the money they receive from financial institutions and the regulations that, doesn't, uh, they, that uh, don't prevent them uh, exploration. So that was the uh, finding uh, right now. And this environmental uh, project also received um, uh, later um, a, gr a, a, a strong grant, I think, uh, from European Union. Uh, in, in Oslo, there is an institute, NUPI. Uh, there are some scholars, uh, uh, Elena Wilson and Kristen, are also doing the research on environment in the Caspian Sea. So I can really see that uh, the topic kind of gained popularity uh, later on now more and more people paying attention on, on, on this issue. Well, I think that this is one of the most interesting conclusions that you draw in your book. I mean, I am one of those scholars who was very skeptical about the environmental dimension of all of this, but your book made me rethink and you inject this kind of uh, Caspian optimism, I would call it, uh, Aga. Uh, do you think, though, that this kind of cooperation that you so well articulate and explore in the book is going to continue on? I mean, my impression was always that the Caspian is a very static, not much happens in terms of a geopolitical or geoeconomic arena, whereas Eurasia land over land is a much more lively environment. So you've got this kind of difference, you know, between what happens in the Caspian and what happens in Eurasia. I mean, whereas you draw a much a somewhat more positive picture there. Do you think that beyond the time frame that you examine, is, is there a future for Caspian cooperation in, in this area that you mentioned in the book or in some germane policy areas? Mm, very good question. I think uh, that's also the question after the PhD I was also wondering. And one of my observations is that, yes, to some extent, uh, it continues. Uh, however, here, one thing we need to highlight, and as you said, Caspian Sea is part of, of course, the Eurasian, and it's not an isolated area. It's part of also this global development. In this regard, one of the uh, future projects, and beyond these three case studies, what's happening, and that's in my interest, is the development of the ports. Uh, right now, Caspian capital or the Caspian Sea countries, they try to develop their own ports 
they have there are a lot of port projects going on right now in Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, to Iran and Russia to increase the transport, ferry transport, and also to increase the um, transportation among uh, among the Caspian Sea countries, but also to increase the transportation among uh, China and Europe via Caspian Sea. Uh, so, yes, one of the future projects and ongoing case studies right now is this port project, how Caspian Sea countries looking at the ports, uh, and indeed, uh, these ports are very interconnected. If, for example, Azerbaijan developed uh, developed its own port, high-tech high standards, and Kazakhstan or Turkmenistan doesn't do that, it doesn't make sense in the end, because you will have always a delay. You depend on kind of other uh, country as well. If they function good in their own ports, it will also bring you benefit and more uh, help in terms of time, in terms of uh, logistics. Another thing related to this is the One Belt, One Road project. And Caspian Sea countries also trying to cooperate, maybe each other, but kind of economically compete with each other in the One Belt, One project as well. So that is also part of it, because that's the main project they are trying to uh, join, uh, and also uh, it's the main project they are trying to uh, with, uh, advertise the importance of the Caspian Sea. Uh, beyond this, uh, I would say uh, recently, actually today, Azerbaijani president traveled to uh, Central Asia, uh, and uh, we can see that uh, Azerbaijan also has increased its involvement in this region as well. Not only these countries, Kazakhstan or Turkmenistan, uh, trying to involve in projects in the South Caucasus, but other way around as well. So we see interesting developments uh, going on. And uh, one of the maybe important uh, aspect right now, maybe we can look at this uh, Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and where, when there was a uh, war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan tried to kind of sidelined. Uh, involvement in this uh, conflict because they are of course part of this uh, Russian-led uh, uh, security organization like Kazakhstan refused uh, even send troops uh, on behalf of Armenia or uh, uh, send any military units. So we can see that uh, this Caspian family, they have their own agenda uh, kind of. Uh, maybe uh, as you said, I am too optimistic in this regard, uh, but here we also depend on global developments. If there is a competition and rivalry among the great powers, sometimes you feel that it influences the project, not not per se their politics, but also influence the project in the in the region as well. And currently, what's going on in Ukraine kind of uh, increased the importance of the Caspian Sea, but also influenced the. Uh, uh, position of the uh, countries, other two countries in the Caspian Sea, Russia and Iran. That's also one of the maybe interview again findings when I asked international organizations, why did you cut environmental funding? They said, look, the problem is not the Caspian Sea or the projects or the countries cooperating with each other, uh, but the funding is dependent on the global development because Russia and Iran are under the sanctions and the United States, uh, European Union, they don't want us to uh, finance their sanction-list countries, even if it is the environmental project. So we have to also uh, leave the uh, 
certain projects and financing them. So this is kind of the, I would say, the picture right now. Caspian Sea has its own stuff, but it is also interconnected global development, not an isolated region, uh, not an isolated area. Well, Aga, thanks a lot. That was a very, a very good point to, to conclude the, our conversation. So, and I guess that you also raise a few issues that may be relevant for your future research. And, you know, and we do look forward to reading what you're going to be writing in, in the future. So thanks again for being on the show. Today we discussed together with author Aga Bayramov his latest book, Constructive Competition in the Caspian Sea Region, question mark. I've been Luka Cheski, and have a good afternoon, everyone. Cheers. Thank you so much, uh, Luca, for inviting me. It was really great to talk to you, and thank you so much also recognizing this project and my book as well. It was our pleasure.